Okay, have a seat. Good morning, church. It's exciting to have a full room of people. This is great. Uh, so today we're starting a new sermon series, and we'll be covering the first few verses in, the cha- in uh, Matthew chapter 5, and it's also known as the Beatitudes. Uh, so I want to start by reading Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 16. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are mourned, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and and glorify your Father in heaven. So this is a reading of God's word. I'm excited uh, about this Beatitudes sermon series. But before we dive into that, I want to do a little exercise with you. Everybody gets to participate. So everybody close your eyes. Raise one hand up in the air. And point to the direction that you think is true north. Okay, hold that there. You can open your eyes. Some of you are close. Some of you maybe moved your hand a little bit when you opened your eyes. (laughs) But according to the compass on my phone, true north is straight out these doors. That wasn't a test. You get to stay. (laughs) How many of you from Knoxville thought North Star's over there? So I'm going to point that direction. (laughs) Anybody? There's there's one person back there being honest. I like it. So my point in doing that is sometimes we need to recalibrate ourselves. If Jesus is our true north, if he is the direction that we want to head, we need to pause every now and then and recalibrate our spiritual compass. I remember my wife had a car one time and the the compass was up in the the console, up on the roof, and every now and then it would get goofy. And the owner's manual said to take it to a parking lot or an open space and just drive in circles until it got it right. So you're welcome (laughs) that we didn't go through that. Be stumbling all over the place. So, In my Bible, and some of you have these, it's called the Red Letter Bible. 
And so in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, it's all written in red. These are the words of Jesus. This is also known, 5, 6, and 7, are known as the Sermon on the Mount. Sometimes referred to as the best sermon ever. So much so, and especially the Beatitudes that we'll be looking at, go against everything that the world tells us. Everything that the enemy tells us. In a way, Jesus kind of flips the script on us a little bit. And if you notice the imagery when you came in, the, the word blessed, that's upside down on purpose. That's not a technical glitch. So if you giggled about that, that's because Jesus flips everything. And as we read through these Beatitudes, some of you may recognize a few of them. You know, they make good Hallmark cards. Or they make cute signs that we get to hang in our house. I remember I had a basketball t-shirt once that said, the meek shall inherit the earth, but they won't get the ball. <laughs> Only half of that was true. I won't mention which half. But the reality is, this was staggering teaching at the time. And it still is today. It went against everything that people knew, everything that they believed. And if we're honest, we're the same way. And yet Jesus says, blessed are the people who are like this. So just a quick overview to get us to where we're at in chapter 5. So if you would read through the previous chapters in Matthew, you would see that John the Baptist prepares the way for Jesus. And at the end of chapter 3, we see Jesus get baptized, and the Holy Spirit descends upon him. And then immediately in chapter 4, Jesus is led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the enemy. And we read in Matthew uh, chapter 4, verse, verse 17, the first words that Jesus speaks after being tempted by the enemy. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And as we continue on in chapter 4, we see Jesus start to call his disciples. He calls four fishermen. Simon, also called Peter, and his brother Andrew. And then he calls James and John. These four men drop everything. They give up everything that they've ever worked for, all that they've ever known, everything that brought them security. And they follow Jesus. And then in verses 23 to 25, as we end chapter 4, we see Jesus really getting, getting busy, getting to work. 23 through 25, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering in severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee and the Decapolis, Jerusalem, and Judea, all in the region across the Jordan followed him. So we see Jesus has gotten people's attention, right? People are paying attention to the works that he's doing. Some of them are following, them, or following him for who he is. There might be some who are following him just because they think they can get what they want. 
And so all of that brings us to where we are this morning in chapter 5. And Jesus begins to flip everything upside down. So let's, let's start in on this and recalibrate ourselves. So Jesus sees this huge crowd, and it says in chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. Now this all sounds relatively straightforward, right? But right away we see how our culture teaches us different, the opposite of what Jesus saw. Jesus saw all these people wanting him. He saw his popularity, and he removed himself from it. He went up on a mountainside. But our culture teaches us that we're supposed to want more popularity. We're supposed to want more fame, more fortune, more followers. And Jesus removed himself from it. And then it says he sat down and began to teach. This was a common posture at the time. For a teacher, they would sit down and all the listeners would stand. <laughs> and when he says his disciples came to him. Now remember, we're not talking about the 12, right? At this point, he is only called four. When it talks about disciples, it's talking about all the people who followed Jesus for who he was, the true followers. And we know this isn't just a few people, because if we jump to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 7, verse 28, it says, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. The crowds were amazed. So all these disciples had came to Jesus, and he began to teach. And the very first thing, that Jesus teaches, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is where he starts. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And I read a commentary that said that this is the first rung of the ladder. Like we have to get this right before we can get to the next one. But being the ex-roofer that I am, when they talked about a ladder, I thought, are we going up or are we coming down? It depends, and I'll get to more of that in a minute. But first, let's start with blessed, right? All these beatitudes start with blessed. What does that mean? Blessed means more than happiness. It means more than happiness. It implies the, the fortunate state of those who are in God's kingdom. Because when you read through this, none of these beatitudes, none of them promise laughter. None of them promise pleasure, earthly prosperity. Being blessed by God means the experience of a hope and a joy independent of any outward circumstance. By a show of hands, this is the last time I'm going to ask you to participate, by the way. By a show of hands, how many people are interested in being blessed by God? Okay, you raised your hands. Good. This was almost the shortest sermon series ever. <laughs> poor in spirit. Why would we want to be poor in spirit? 
If you would get a group of kids together and say, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? You would hear things like doctor, lawyer, teacher, poor. Nobody says poor. Nobody wants to be poor. Our culture teaches us that we're supposed to be rich. And if you, outside of church, were to ask somebody, who, would, who do you think is blessed? They would probably mention somebody that is powerful, materially wealthy, influential, talented, gifted, good-looking. Those are the ways that our world tells us that you're blessed. But the very first thing that Jesus teaches us in his earthly ministry, blessed are the poor in spirit. And I read some very academic head knowledge definitions on what this phrase would mean. But I want to give you a simple one. Poor in spirit means that when you come before God spiritually, when you bring yourself spiritually before the Lord, it says, I have nothing to offer God and I deserve nothing from God. Because the reality is, right, he created us. We have nothing in our humanity that he needs. We are spiritually bankrupt, in a sense. And a gentleman named William Barclay puts it like this. In the Greek language, there are two words for poor. There is a word that describes the man who has to work for his living. He's not rich, but he's not destitute either. The other Greek word for poor describes absolute and abject poverty. It means to crouch or to cower and describes the poverty which has beaten us to our knees. Someone who is destitute. And the word, the word for spirit often means breath or wind. And in this context, it can refer to our lives. And in our culture, we'd probably call that our self. Destitute of self. We will be blessed when we come before the Lord and say we are spiritually bankrupt. We have nothing to offer you. We need you. We can't do this on our own. We, we totally and completely surrender ourselves to you. And Jesus says in return the kingdom of heaven. So what keeps us from doing that? That sounds easy enough. Because there is an enemy. There is a liar that wants to keep us from that. And I want to share a couple examples this morning of what God showed in my life this week of what that might look like. So I mentioned earlier the latter. And when we get our hearts right with these beatitudes, before we can get to the next rung, we have to start with this first one. So we're going up or down. It depends on the lie that we believe. So when I was in high school, granted that was a couple days ago, but when I was in high school, I had life figured out. I had great friends, I had a family that loved me, supported me. I loved playing sports. I sometimes studied. I had a nice car. You know, all the things that high school kids value. 
And then over the course of my senior year, all those things began to unravel. My identity began to get peeled away. And so being the super intelligent kid that I was, I chose my college based on where my buddies were going. And as you can imagine, that did not work out well. And when I reflected on it, I began to spiral into a very unhealthy lifestyle. And so after a year, year and a half, I gave up on school. And I moved back to Knoxville, and I moved into this house with some buddies known as the ashtray. And it wasn't as nice as it sounds. <laughs> I got a job to pay the bills. No future in it. No passion in it, simply to pay the bills. I had lost all confidence, all value, and all purpose for my life. I felt worthless. And even all these years later, that's still hard to say. I felt worthless. That was the lie of the enemy that I believed for years. But by the grace of God and the love of an amazing woman, I found hope. The first time I came to church and I heard the gospel, it hit me that I'm not worthless. I might be unworthy. We all are. But I wasn't worthless. And so I just want to say this morning that if anybody here, even if it's a part of your life that you've never even verbalized to anybody else, if there is any place in your life where you feel worthless, I just want to say to you right now, that is a lie. That is a lie. Because the truth is, Jesus loves you. He values you. He died on the cross so you could have a right relationship with the Father in heaven. And when that truth goes from being head knowledge to heart knowledge, friends, it changes everything. And in Romans, it tells us that Jesus died for us even while we were sinners. So that's good news. We don't have to have it figured out when we come to him. But to be poor in spirit, we just need to come to him with all we have and surrender it. It's the first step in that ladder of building our relationship with him. But I also said earlier, being the ex-roofer, are we going up and down? If you feel worthless, Jesus will give us worth to climb out of that place of despair. But there's also another lie that many of us believe. It's pride. Like we've got it all figured out. We can do this on our own. We can handle it, and what we can't, we'll give that to God. We don't want to be destitute. But if we ever get close to it, God's there. I'll turn to him then. 
we give ourselves way too much credit most of the time. So about 10 or 12 years ago, I was in charge of this massive roofing project in downtown Iowa City. This huge church, tall, massive roof, downtown Iowa City, logistics were a nightmare. Nowhere to put anything. Of course, this church had to have a daycare in the basement, so then we had to worry about kids running around. And to be honest with you, the only reason that we even got this job is we were the only ones crazy enough to give them a bid to do it. And so once a week, I would go to lunch with their head maintenance guy named Charlie. And we'd sit down and we'd talk through, you know, what's going well with this job? What's the church worried about? What can we fix? And one day when we were headed back from lunch, we were driving up this hill, and just over the top of the hill, all you could see was the roof of this church. You couldn't see the scaffolding, you couldn't see the mess, just the roof with the sky as the background. And as we looked ahead, we saw a guy on my crew named Lassero just walking up the roof. And I could barely climb this thing when I had something to hang on to. And Lassero was just walking up like it was no big deal. And Charlie said, that guy is crazy. How does he do that? He said, don't you ever worry about them falling. And I said, well, Charlie, here's the deal. I tell all my guys when they get hired that if you ever fall off the roof, the last thing to remember before you hit the ground is you're fired. <laughs> I, did, I, I joked with him, but I did tell him that. But then I went on to explain to him, I said, Charlie, these guys have spent the majority of their life on a roof. Like, they're up there all day, every day. That's second nature to them. Like, they don't even comprehend the, the danger of falling off a roof anymore. And I tell you that story because our pride does the same thing to us with our sin. When we live in it long enough, when we don't accept the danger of it for what it is, we just get comfortable with it. We get complacent with it. It isn't hurting anyone. I'm not that bad. I'm not as bad as that person. I can quit when I want to. I come to church every Sunday. I give my money. I don't need God the other six days. And if something goes wrong, he's there. We get complacent. We don't address it for what it is. And Jesus gives us another example of what this scenario looks like. In Luke 18, verses 9 through 14, Jesus tells a parable. It's the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. It reads like this. To some who were confident of their own righteousness... And looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. And the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you, I am not like others. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, even this tax collector guy over here. I fast twice a week, I give a tenth of all I get. 
But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven. And he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus goes on to say, I tell you that this man, the tax collector, rather than the Pharisee, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all those who humble themselves will be exalted. We are blessed when we come before the Lord poor in spirit, destitute of self, and say, you can have it all. We need you in all things. But friends, this isn't easy. It goes against everything that the world tells us, everything that the enemy wants us to believe. But we're talking about the kingdom of heaven. That is worth it. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And I was struck the other day as I pondered this. Because if you look at the last year or year and a half of our lives, if you look at the social climate or the political climate of our world, it's been all about our rights, what we want. And there's all kinds of topics that you can pick. You know, you have masks, vaccines, voting rights. I mean, name it. And it doesn't matter which side you're on. I have been saying for months, I am more worried about our spiritual health coming out of this pandemic than I am about the virus itself. I don't, I don't want to minimize COVID-19. We've all been affected by it, some of us more than others. But I'm more worried about our spiritual health. All these things that we think we deserve, our rights that have been taken away. And now when things open up, they become offered again. And we want more. We want more. And those things can easily become idols in our life. And God just moves another rung away. And even on this, 4th of July weekend, where we as Americans, we celebrate our freedoms and we celebrate our rights. Isn't it interesting that God had, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying that our rights and our freedoms as Americans aren't worth celebrating. They are. When they're put in their proper perspective. Our greatest riches, our greatest freedoms come from the kingdom of heaven. And we can receive those when we come to the Lord destitute of self, poor in spirit, and say, you can have it all. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray. So Father God, we, we thank you first and foremost, for your word, that we can lean into it, that we can discover more of who you are and who you want us to be. And we talk about being poor in spirit. 
And when we can do that, like the song we sung a little bit ago, that you will pour out your spirit. So, Father, I just pray that whatever lies that the enemy might be placing on our hearts, I'm sure we all have different ones, that you would pour out your spirit. That you would make those lies null and void here and now in the name of Jesus. That we could be people who are blessed by coming to you poor in spirit and receiving the kingdom of heaven. And let that not just be the cry of our hearts here and now, but every minute of every day. We are worthy because you say we are worthy. And our sin is worse than we think it is, but God, your grace is so much bigger than we give it credit for. So come, Holy Spirit. Meet us where we need you most. In Jesus' name, amen.